Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, good morning. Uh, today, the panel discussion uh, is about uh, the changing landscape in shipping in terms of uh, geopolitics, uh, technology, regulation, and uh, finance. Uh, our panel today consists of uh, Mr. Aristides Pitas, CEO of Eurosys and Eurodry. Mr. Alex Hadzipateras, Executive Vice President of Dorian LPG. Mr. John Dragnis, CEO of Golden Pond Holdings. Mr. Dimitris Fafalios, President of Fafalios Shipping and Chairman of Intercargo. And Mr. George Muscas, CEO of Olympia Ocean Carriers and Vice President of Cyprus Union of Ship Owners. Uh, so I would like to hit the ground uh, with the subject of uh, regulations. And I would like to ask uh, the panel uh, about uh, the, the low sulfur cap regulation for 2020. And I would like to ask Mr. Uh, Aristides Pitas first. Uh, Aristides, do you think uh, the industry is ready for 2020? And do you think and do you see any uh, what effects do you see in the market as a result of that? Good morning to everybody. Nice to see such a big crowd here. Um, this is a matter that we have been discussing in uh, numerous occasions uh, throughout the year. It's uh, quite late now for people that have not prepared to prepare themselves to tackle this. Uh, this problem and this change and this significant change uh, in, in how the vessels are bunk uh, fueled. We will have disruption. Every, every change comes with disruption. Disruption is something that uh, at any time creates inefficiencies. Inefficiencies is something that at the end of the day results uh, for uh, better markets. Um, any slowdown in the business and in the efficiency is, uh, can be considered a reduction on the trading uh, number of vessels. So we will see disruption, which will be positive overall for the industry, but it can be very negative uh, for some people that are caught unprepared, uh, some people that are caught in the odd position, um, it can be dangerous. We might have problems on board the ships. The, this uh, uh, new fuel is really untested and it's going to be tested in reality very, very soon. So I do anticipate uh, a lot of technical issues, a lot of delays, a lot of stoppages uh, to various people. The more prepared should have the advantage of uh, having a slightly better market because of the delays and the disruption that uh, unprepared people will be facing. Um, of course, uh, this change has also resulted in uh, many people putting scrubbers on board the ships because this has been allowed by the industry as a solution. This is a very costly thing that is happening, but it's also taking many ships out of business for the time needed to put the ships, uh, to put the scrubbers on board the ships, thus also 
reducing supply of vessels uh, for the time being, and this is something that will last for at least six months more. So I do anticipate generally a little bit better markets for, for in every sector uh, than we would have had otherwise. Of course, what we would have had otherwise is also a big question, but uh, let me stick to this for the moment and hear what the others so are the saying. Disruption could be good at the end, possibly, in terms of commercial. Uh, John, uh, do you share the same opinion with Aristides on that subject? Uh, good morning. I mean, yeah, I mean, these, it's, uh, it's obviously uh, b b positive because it's taking tonnage out of the market. Uh, as Aristides said, for example, we have a couple of Aframaxes right now on, on a scrubber retrofit, and I mean, the market is at 30,000, 40,000 a day, and, and it hurts. I mean, you want the ships back, back ready and uh, working as soon as possible, but it is what it is, and especially in the East. I mean, uh, Costco shipyards and other, and other shipyards are very, very busy at the moment. They're fully packed with projects and, uh, and uh, you know, there's, uh, there's just uh, some, some delays that are happening, not, not because of the fault of the shipyards per se, but because some owners are not fully prepared. I mean, all the plants are not ready. You know, there is like even some the slightest uh, delay that, uh, that causes, uh, causes uh, delay to other projects as well. So we see now there are at least a, uh, five, ten, ten day delays on many scrubber projects. I mean, ten days is too much, but maybe five day delay on average is something to be expected. So that's obviously taking tonnes out of the market and, is, and it is market positive. Uh, we also saw because of the Costco issue recently that the, 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 the tanker market is also thinly balanced at the moment. So we saw even a few more vessels that went out of, of the market now, especially on the VLCC sector, because of the sanctions that caused the market to shoot up. If so I can ask you, it what, is what is the average uh, time that you calculate you need to be out for a scrubber retrofit these days? I, I mean, if, if you do, if, if you have, a, let's say, an, an, a pre, uh, an, a not, not a scrubber, I mean, there are vessels, we're doing some, uh, retrofits with vessels which are scrubber ready because we didn't have time to do it at the yard, which is going to take us about, uh, we estimate, uh, around 30 days to, uh -huh. to complete those. I mean, for example, the funnel is, all re is ready and you just install the scrubber and the pipes. Okay. Uh, on, on a conventional tanker, it takes, uh, will take about, I mean, to be realistic, will take about 40 days because okay. you also have the phase of commissioning, you have the phase of testing, so you have to, to look at the whole thing. That's plus going to and fro uh, uh, the yard, Shipyard, yeah. that's, that's okay. plus ballasting. And, Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, so, so it is a lot, a lot of time. So, on to the next one. Uh, regulation does not stop there. Uh, we have uh, uh, other goals, future goals for decarbonization coming. Uh, if I could ask Dimitri, Dimitri, what's your opinion about the next set of goals for decarbonization? Do you think these goals are achievable? Thank you, Sava. Good morning to everybody, and many thanks to Capital Link. Um, the next goal, I guess, is the IMO 2030 goal, and we need a series of measures uh, to achieve that. Uh, already there's a, a wide discussion and acceptance of what's known as a super SEMP uh, for all vessels, which is a SEMP which we already have, but which will be uh, strengthened. But this will probably have to be supplemented by uh, perhaps goal-based measures for container ships, row rows, and other liner type of vessels, whereas we may need for 
bulkers and oil tankers in the tramp trades, we may need fully prescriptive measures uh, because this is a, the case where the charterer makes the major decisions on cargo and destination and speeds. And um, perhaps a prescriptive measure would be in the form of a power limiter uh, on the main engine. Um, we, then, we then look forward to 2050 and this goal needs greater ambition and uh, very full cooperation between ship operators, energy suppliers, shipyards and engine makers. Um, here, herein lies the problem of IMO. IMO regulates the ship operator, but the ship operator is highly dependent on other stakeholders uh, to achieve uh, the IMO goals. In addition, we're going to need extra research and development. And um, uh, in order to get to 2050, we really need zero carbon fuels which will be safe and available worldwide. So at the moment, there are talk about synthetic LNG, and, but also thin synthetic liquid biofuels, and these show a lot of promise for the long term. Um, LNG, hydrogen, ammonia, methanol will be a medium term uh, solution and only in certain sectors. So we have to remember that our existing package of the slow speed engine uh, in, in the bulk trades and in the oil tankers where we're directly coupled to the propeller is, is highly, highly efficient as it is. But we simply need the right fuel to get to 2050. And um, uh, again, in the bulk oil and, and tramp uh, sector where we have to sail to every port in the world and uh, we have to talk about safety and availability and looking at the crew, the, uh, the crews that we have on board, um, I think the future fuels to get us to 2050 will be these liquid uh, fuels. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Dimitri. Uh, so, I'd like to ask George. George, do you feel the market, uh, is, uh, the shipping industry is getting over-regulated? And how do you see this affecting your operation? Yeah, yes, it is over-regulated. And, of course, it does affect the operation because the... Our captains today are completely overwhelmed with paperwork uh, and it's stopping them doing their proper job, which is to supervise the correct loading of the vessel, to make sure that it, everything complies safety-wise. And yet they're spending most of their time filling up forms and uh, just generally doing anything else other than the normal ship operation. With the regulations, the problem is that the uh, regulators are, are constantly retro, uh, asking us to retrofit existing vessels. If the regulations were for new buildings, it wouldn't be a problem because you could, you could design the vessel around any new equipment. But to try and retrofit existing ships on every and everything that they are for. new technologies. It's, it, a, it's it, an it, issue, yeah. Logistically, it's very difficult. Some Can ships simply don't have the space, and you have to... It's a massive job. So I, I think it's something which... It would be good if our regulators decided to give it some warning so that we, the new buildings can have the new regulations and not, not go back to existing vessels. It's a very good point, I think. Alex, how about you? Uh, do, you, do you believe the shipping industry is uh, really overregulated and that uh, affects your operation? I think, uh, indeed, I agree uh, with the comments before me that it, it's challenging from a ship management perspective because of a resources constraint 
we're focusing on uh, having cost-efficient operations, but also having to satisfy these new regulations that independently, if you look at each one, make a lot of logical sense. But uh, when they're barraged upon you, can be very challenging to satisfy all of them. And it does create an opportunity for technology as one solution uh, to try and, uh, for example, with MRV and some of the emissions reporting to capture data from the vessels. But uh, I think the IMO 2020 is a clear example of a politicized uh, regulation that despite all the preparations you can take, uh, there are some aspects that we can't control. We don't know, like the fuel blends that will uh, impact and create some of this downtime and possible uh, issues with the technical running of the vessels. So this is a, a big concern. Practice is not always the same with the theory. It's different. Uh, on to the next uh, subject, I would like, uh, on to the next subject, uh, with regards to technology, we hear about dual efficient engine, uh, dual fuel engines, uh, digitalization, cyber crimes, unmanned ships, uh, and I'd like to ask you, Dimitri, first, uh, where is technology going in shipping? And where do you see the benefits, the risks, or even the threats, if there are any, in terms of technology in shipping? Yes, thank you, uh, Sava. Uh, yes, technology is, is definitely moving forward. Um, and where, we, where it's going to be different from the past is that um, technology will be very sector specific. So specific shipping sectors will uh, have access to uh, particular technologies. So for instance, there is a case for uh, dual fuel engines. Um, can the 80,000 ships in the world fleet be converted to dual fuel? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's uh, economically uh, feasible, but I think that certain sectors uh, there will be a lot of uh, uh, impetus to go for the, the technology. Uh, digitalization, again, in certain sectors, it will be uh, critical, especially, for instance, the container sector, where there's a uh, higher speeds, more uh, uh, the cargo information needs to be more uh, digitalized. Um, but we we can't make sweeping we can't make sweeping uh, judgments. So. Every sector will be specific. Um, unmanned, unmanned vessels, yes, uh, possibly way in the future. I think that we should possibly uh, separate autonomous with unmanned. That means that we could have an autonomous vessel which is still manned. Um, but um, um, I, I think that definitely uh, technology is moving forward. My big, uh, uh, let's say, reservation is that the technology should always take the human element, uh, our crews, uh, into account. Uh, and most of all, it should take safety into account. Our, our biggest, biggest challenge is that we're being offered uh, non-marinized marine equipment. Uh, and because of the pace of technology, the marinization of the equipment uh, is lagging way behind the demand for the technology. So uh, we need marinized equipment. Um, we need the class rules to move up from a lowest common denominator approach. And I think that we also need the marine insurers to, to finally take an active uh, uh, 
an active role in the development of, of equipment and of ships. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, John, what are your, your views about uh, technology in the shipping industry? No, I think the was very, very well covered by Dimitris. I'd just like to add a little bit, actually to repeat the fact that I think the human element, the, hum the human factor is very, will, will remain key uh, on the vessels. Uh, obviously, technology will augment the capabilities of, of those people, but that has to be matched with appropriate education for the handling of the new equipment. I mean, we're just investing in technology, and, you know, we, we have people who don't actually understand what, what the new ships can do. I mean, yeah. uh, even today, which you're not talking about, I mean, the average vessel is not autonomous, is not, you know, but you do have a lot of new systems that, uh, that I think even young uh, officers are struggling to follow. They're struggling to understand and uh, see how, they, how the, the technology develops. So we have to continue to educate and try to combine the, uh, you know, the, our officers aboard the vessels, which may, maybe in the future will be fewer, maybe not 22, maybe there will be 15, I don't know, 14, 12, but there will still be some, that's what I think. And uh, I think their capability will be augmented by technology, so that, okay. that's what I think. Thank you. Uh, Aristides, I'd like to ask you do, you, do you consider the investment in technology it's so capital intensive that would affect the development of uh, your fleets uh, or renewal of your fleets in the in the future. We have uh, a big problem as owners when we're trying to decide, you know, what ship we should buy and what ship we should build and what fuel it will burn. Because technology is moving extremely quickly. It's not like in the past, you know, we had wind ships forever, we had uh, turbine ships for 50 years, we have diesel now for 50 years, but what is the solution going forward? Nobody knows. Technology is evolving so fast. Plus, we have all these environmental issues which are so important that we have to deal with so that we cannot decide what ship to order. Shipping traditionally has ships that they are built for 25 years, let's say, on average. If you build a ship today, you know that the technology will have evolved so much in 20 years or in 10 years that this ship will be obsolete again. So this is one of the biggest problems that the shipping industry is currently facing. And this is one thing that uh, in a weird way is also helping shipping because orders for new buildings are not being put. Nobody knows what to, to order. W let me give you an example. We considered two years ago to build uh, LNG-powered uh, dry bulk Panamax vessels. We looked at it, we checked at the technology that was available, it ended up that we would have to, to pay about 30-35% more than what we would have to pay for a conventional Panamax vessel. And is this the solution for the future? The LNG fuel is cleaner than the current fuel, but it's not clean enough. Uh, so we abandoned that project, and we abandoned the project of building a new vessel altogether. Be and I think the way I think, many other owners think at this point. And uh, what George Muska said is also extremely important because if you build a ship today and you know that at least it's going to last for 20, 25 years without the need to change completely, 
then that's okay. But we see that the regulations come and tell you, you know, you have this ship today, but you have to take everything out and put something new in and a new engine and the new, and the new scrubber, and that is extremely costly and does not make sense. So this is the current situation. I think uh, technology will evolve. It is evolving. All the matters that Dimitris uh, and John talked about are happening and will happen, but who's going to provide the investment? I don't know. So to take it up from your comment now, uh, George, could you order dual uh, uh, fuel uh, LNG-powered vessels today? No, no, we wouldn't order LNG-powered vessels, and uh, this is absolutely right. You, it's impossible to know today what to do, I mean, go, going forward. Uh, oh. we, we don't even know what fuels will be available in two or three years' time. So how can you order a vessel? It's... Um, I think it's a good thing for the market because, you know, that at least on the dry cargo, there's not many orders going in. So maybe there'll be a bit of a gap in the market where, we, you know, we can see a, a supply less than the demand. But um, for renewing your fleet, it's, it's a problem. Uh, it's very difficult to, to know what, what, what to do and how to look for the future and how, how to expand the, the, your fleet. I would like to ask Alex, being in the gas market, do you have the same view regarding dual uh, fuel ships and LNG, or maybe you have something else to, to add into that? Um, to George's point about retrofit, when we built uh, 19 gas carriers, we uh, had um, the cap possibility to retrofit for LPG as fuel, but it was too costly uh, with the second-hand vessels. It was eight to nine million dollars. However, on a new building, uh, it's about half that price. So I definitely think if we were to look at new buildings now, and we're in a niche sector because we carry the fuel already that we would use as a dual fuel, uh, we would absolutely consider LPG as a fuel. And I think it creates some challenges for LPG so and you LNG. Said you would consider? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So on to the next subject. I would like to talk about the geopolitics. Uh, I would love to have the opinion of each one for all the different, ma different markets you are in, but I would like to ask you to be a bit brief because we have a limited time. Uh, we, every day we hear about the trade war, the tariffs, the new sanctions. Uh, what is the impact of uh, trade war and the sanctions and all these geopolitics that are happening in your industries? Is it negative? Is it positive? Uh, what it is? And uh, I would like to first start uh, with uh, George for the dry cargo market. Yeah. Uh, well, on the dry cargo, um, unfortunately, I think it's negative because the trade wars, especially the China trade war with the uh, United States, is, um, is definitely affecting not, I mean, the Chinese GDP now is, the, the growth rate is the lowest for 30 years. Uh, world GDP is also decreasing. Um, it's all very, very low. And it, does, it doesn't help us at all. Um, I think it may, there's a difference between the dry and the tankers, which I'm sure the other speakers will mention, but it's helping the tankers. But I think on the on the dry cargo, it's, uh, it's a negative effect. If we didn't have these trade wars, I think we would be in a very healthy market today on, okay. uh, on the dry cargo. Thank you. Uh, John, 
could you please uh, tell us the effect on the tanger about the effect on the tanger market? I mean, we, we all we all witnessed uh, recently the, the sanctions on uh, on, on uh, uh, Costco Energy Transportation obviously affected the the tanker market, especially larger sizes. But now it's uh, trickling down to to other uh, sectors as well, and that coupled also with the attack to to the Saudi Arabian uh, ref uh, the refineries, obviously have, uh, also had a po relatively positive impact on some LR uh, LR2. Uh, trades as well, but overall, I'd like to say an overall picture. I mean, I'm, I'm I mean, we've been go through many bad years, and we had constant asset deflation. You know, the CPIs were dropping the prices, and that caused, of course, the secondhand market to go down. And then, you know, the vessels kept losing and losing and losing value because of new technology coming in, ME engines, etc. I think today we are at a relatively better, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic on all sectors. I mean, we have some exposure on dry and also containers as well. I mean, you see that shipyards, also consolidation that's going in the shipyards, and generally that there is a limit where they no longer will so easily accept orders which are loss-making. So there is some, let's say, bottom to the, to the price that the shipyard will accept to build new vessels today, and that is good. Ship owners are considering many uh, issues like technology, like what is being discussed here, and they are a bit more cautious to order ships. Uh, public funds, uh, public markets, not that many. Of course, private equity is there and is very strong, but again, they are very, I think, quite more careful to order new ships and to put new tonnage in the market, so I think that's positive. So it's a matter of demand. Demand has the issues of trade war. We have these short-term effects like Costco banning, as I said, the Saudi Arabian attacks, but generally I'm a bit more positive. So I have to say I have to end up with that on, on most sectors. Yes. Disruptions could help the tanker market in a way. Uh, Aristides, could you have your view about the impact of uh, tariffs, trade goals, and sanctions on the container market and maybe even on the dry cargo as well there too? Yes. Uh, I'll start where John ended and say that the supply side looks very positive. Uh, if the demand side was also very positive, then we would, have, uh, we would be looking on for a fantastic market. But the demand side is not that positive at this moment, and I think it's very difficult for anybody to predict how that will be going on. With the trade wars, we don't really know what will be happening on that front, which was commenced uh, by the U.S. and uh, driven by the Trump administration. And uh, I find it very difficult to, to understand uh, where he wants to take this uh, war. Um, I would think that uh, if uh, he wants to be reelected next year, he will be uh, Kind, trying to find uh, agreements with the other countries uh, in order to improve his chances of re-election. But on the other side, is that what the middle American wants? Or does the middle American want, you know, America is the great and let's make America great and we wage war to everybody else? And, and maybe that's what gets him elected. So I don't know and I, don't, I can't really comment on the American politics. I know the trade wars is here, it's happening, it has a huge influence on the global GDP, on the movement of all kinds of cargos, containerized cargo, of course, which 
depends directly to global GDP growth and to globalization, but also dry bulk, uh, tankers, everything. So it is a very, very difficult demand uh, situation that we are currently facing. Uh, it can have uh, positive or negative results, I really can't predict. And that's why me and I think many others are sitting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Alex, uh, what do you see the effect of uh, trade wars and all the sanctions and tariffs being on the gas market? Is it a different story or similar with the other sectors? China is, China is by far the biggest uh, importer of uh, LPG in the world. So the 25% tariff on uh, US um, uh, LPG has changed where they import from. They immediately signed contracts with the Qataris and uh, other Middle Eastern suppliers. However, that's resulted in a lot of US uh, LPG going in, on unusual trade routes to India and other places. So it's changed the, the ton-mile demand and it hasn't had a positive effect, but it hasn't had as negative an effect as we would expect. To uh, Aristides's point, I believe that um, in the US, if we see a, a recession or we see the yield rates um, inversing, that this will uh, change Trump's sort of hand or his poker cards in a way. And I believe this is the key factor to watch now. And, and broadly speaking, if the trade war continues to escalate and there is a, a broader recession, I think that would have a negative impact on LPG. But until now, uh, it's been somewhat, uh, the demand's been quenched by other areas. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I would like to touch on uh, a different subject now, which is uh, uh, finance and uh, how do you see the shipping finance uh, shaping uh, going into the future? Uh, we have uh, leasing houses coming in the, uh, in the market. We have uh, private equity, we don't have a lot of public money, uh, we don't have that much of uh, debt, uh, bank debt, finance. Uh, George, how do you see the finance uh, shaping in the shipping industry? Yeah, well, finance has definitely uh, become uh, harder. Um, obviously, the percentages that you can get today are a lot less than they used to be 10, 15 years ago. Um, and the difference today is that the banks, even the bigger banks, their shipping exposure is small, and therefore uh, owners have to deal with a lot, of, a lot of different banks. You know, if you had ten ships ten years ago, you might deal with two banks. Today, you're probably dealing with five banks to finance those ships, because each bank doesn't want to expose themselves too much to any one owner. Um, there is finance available from, from a lot of smaller banks. Uh, and also for larger projects, there's the Chinese banks, which I understand are giving huge amounts on LNG projects, VLCCs, etc. Uh, so I don't think there's a huge problem, but I think you need to use more equity. Um, you can't uh, borrow the same amounts as you used to which is also a good thing because it reduces the number of ships you can order. Mm -hmm. so I think overall that's good. Aristides, what do you think about alternative sources of finance in today's shipping market? Well, there, there are many, but they are expensive. Uh, the traditional bank, uh, which uh, you know, charges uh, 
two percentage, three percentage points above LIBOR uh, are very few now, and they are the Western European uh, banks mostly. Uh, as George said, we have seen a huge increase in the provision of uh, funding for shipping uh, from the Far East. Uh, China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, all these countries are lending and they are lending, I'm afraid to say, uh, with, uh, with the large amounts and large leverage ratios. So they, you, you can get 75, maybe even 80% finance sometimes. So this is... So there is ample liquidity there for, for bigger, newer projects. For the smaller owner, I think it has become extremely difficult to get uh, financing. Uh, and he has to rely with all these uh, alternative uh, finance uh, shops that have been opening up in the States and in Europe, which, however, are very expensive. It costs you, you know, 9 10% uh, to, to get their money, which is, you know, really too much. The industry does not make that over a cycle. So mm -hmm. it's, it's much more difficult for smaller owners, but for bigger owners, I think, that have access to the Far Eastern money uh, and still have uh, relationships with the European banks that want to do deal with only the bigger companies, there is sufficient financing. The problem is to find the right projects. Okay. Uh, is someone else uh, that would like to add something on that? Or can I move on to the next subject? Okay. Uh, our next subject has to do with uh, consolidation. And I would like to ask you, Dimitri, do you see consolidation happening on the ship owning side? And uh, where do you think uh, that would be important for smaller companies uh, to be able to compete in the future? Yes, Sava, thank you. Um, I mean, in a certain way, our, our industry has a, a two-speed process. So if you look at how many companies today operate more than 50 vessels, uh, it's a large number of companies. So from that point of view, there is consolidation, um, but there's also still thousands of small companies. So we, we basically have a, a, a market or a, 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 an industry which uh, is polarized. Um, my personal view is that, that, uh, that um, looking at the more um, uh, traditional tramp bulk uh, sector, um, any, any fleet more than 30 vessels, you're starting to stretch the capabilities on, on safety and quality. Uh, but um, the, overall, the overall question is, I think that we, we've got some very, very large companies, but we still have a lot of small companies. And the small companies have to find a way either to consolidate or to share resources in, in a more innovative way than they've been uh, doing so far. Thanks. Uh, uh, John, what is your view on the consolidation? Do you see happening? Do you see it happening between the ship owners or the ship owning companies? I mean, yes. I mean, obviously, Sorry, or even the management companies, because yeah, we have that yeah. The the average companies is uh, is growing. I mean, and there are a little bit less companies, and uh, as Dimitris mentioned, many more companies, more than running more than fifty vessels, and that is something that is, uh, is helping, I mean, uh, I mean, management take advantage of some economies of scale. I do strongly believe that after a certain size, there are 
these economies of scale in terms of, of safety and uh, quality and maybe flexibility because you're shipping, you know, you need to be fast, especially the way. So you have a number for that? Number Sorry? of ships and above? It, it's, it's, uh, it's relative. I mean, you know, you have, uh, I mean, even, even in Greece, I have more than 100 vessels companies that are extremely fast and extremely aggressive, but that is because of the way they're set up and mm -hmm. there's, let's say, one key person that is driving that. But if, if you set it up on a corporate and a board, I don't know how, how, that, how mm -hmm. efficient that, that would be. It would be a, like, on, more, on a more corporate basis uh, without, a, let's say, one dominant or two dominant personalities driving all these quick decisions. Uh, I strongly believe that, that operational excellence is extremely important into re retaining the competitive advantage, but the new regulation and whatever is coming and will continue to come is helping at the little bit larger companies because it, it makes things a bit more complicated. You need better structures in order to tackle with all this regulation and that is helping a little bit larger companies. But I do believe that, that in shipping one needs to be nimble, it needs to be flexible and quite fast in decision making. So that's also very, very important. Okay. Uh, would someone else like to add a comment with regards to consolidation? Aristides, do you, say, do you share the views of the two gentlemen before? Yes, I think that uh, operational efficiency uh, is best achieved with medium-sized companies, companies, you know, from 15 to 50 ships, I would say. Uh, below that number, uh, you, you lose uh, on the economies of scale significantly. On the financial side, uh, of course, you need to be, it helps if you are bigger for a very weird uh, reason, I would say, because uh, we've seen the biggest bankruptcies being by quite big companies. But anyway, it's easier for banks and in financial institutions to deal with one company and analyze that rather than many smaller companies. So, but, but for financial reasons, it helps uh, to be larger, and especially if you're a listed entity, it helps uh, even more o on that side. But uh, other than that, on operational efficiency and excellence, I think, you know, 15 to 50 ships is, is, is quite a good optimal number of ships. Okay. Thank you very sorry, much. Last one, if I may add, here, here we tend to fuse management companies with the decisions as, as a shareholder as well. I mean, obviously, this is not evident to any, everyone. I mean, the, some people, you know, they have purely management capabilities, some companies, and some companies are pure investors. I mean, this obviously refers to fusing both these roles. I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your input to this discussion. I think our time is up. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, have a nice day. <laughs>